<laughs> Hi guys. Hey everybody. Gosh. That was as much as I could muster. Right. I'm sorry. <laughs> we are bringing you episode 11 of Would You Tell Your Mom the Podcast. You literally told me we weren't going to keep counting them anymore. I did say that and here I am doing it. All right. Well, it gives you a sense of accomplishment, right? It does. And it kind of just keeps me on track. Okay. You can say episode 50. Um, Ina, you're supposed to be quiet right now. <laughs> From the top, Ina, if you could just keep it to yourself until I direct you. <laughs> Ina, one, two, three. Hi, guys. Hey, everybody. How Welcome are you? to um, episode 11 of What'd You Tell Your Mom the Podcast? Yeah, so um, full disclosure, um, we were. On the fence about doing an episode this weekend just because it's been a real heavy week. I feel like we say that a lot. <laughs> it's just it's been a real heavy ten weeks apparently. Honestly. Um and you know, as so we're not trying to be downers or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so I think we questioned whether we could do an episode that was respectful of what's going on and the fact that folks um, you know, are dealing with a lot of stuff right now. But also recognizing that we also still need outlets. Right. And I think that I was telling my mom, like, this is important to do because, like, I look at it as, as a resource. Like, I can't keep all this emotion bottled up, you know. So I think even if um, we don't necessarily know what to say, I think it's just good to just kind of release it or have, like, a, you know, a platform. That's why we have this platform. Yeah. So what we're saying is um, we're using you guys for therapy <laughs> <laughs> on this on this episode so that we can uh, try to... Um, process some of our our stuff but what we wanted to focus on um, because we know you know we did we had done a prior episode talking about um, you know the Ahmaud Aubrey case and race relations and all of that Um, and so we didn't want to do that again but what we wanted to talk about was uh, well what I said to Keanu was that I feel like a lot of the narrative that has been going forth has been um, you know a lot of sad stuff and kind of negative pictures of uh, the black community mm-hmm. and race relations and all of that. And um, I saw something that somebody had posted, which basically said, why why does white America hate black people so much? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the answer that was given was that, you know, in a nutshell, it's because black people are so awesome. Like there's this, right. um, <clears throat> you know, there's so much that um, the history of black people in this country and outside of this country. And, you know, honestly... Uh, white culture has emulated black culture for so long right and i think it's definitely something that needs to be identified talked about um amongst ourselves amongst people of color amongst the black community you know we can't teach anybody anything if we're not talking about it yeah we we want folks we want you know to highlight wonderful things that folks in the black community are doing Mm -hmm. um i do want to say this because i feel like um I'm not black, so... Shut up! <laughs> oh, my God! Um, and, and, and I know that... Um, she just said that like... <laughs> like it was a revelation. Guys. I was trying to figure out how to say it. I'm not black. <laughs> but I think it's because um, I, I feel the need to say that, especially in an episode where we're highlighting black excellence, because mm-hmm. I want it to be stated that I know I'm talking about a culture that I don't belong to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I have 
grown up in, you know, black neighborhoods almost exclusively my entire life. And so, um, you know, it's just the, the culture that I've always related to the most and I've always felt most akin to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my heart and passion is with the black community. And then, you know, me personally, like that was um, the, the the first community that really fully accepted me, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, and here's another disclaimer. She has black children. I do. I do have <laughs> black children. But I also like even with that, like I don't want to be, well, you know. I, I, well, yeah, I'm, I get I'm it. I'm marching because I have black family members. No, um, you know. Part of my backstory is that when my mom was moving around a lot, you know, we had to stay with different folks and um, she dropped us off. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way, but she, my sister and I had to stay for a couple of years with strangers in the, um, in the country of Harold's. And it was just this, you know, very rural community of nothing but black folks living in the country. And they didn't know us from Adam. My mom was at that time dating um, one of their sons. And they took us in and showed us such love. And we were, I mean, I was maybe five, six, something like that. And so that was my first exposure to how loving and gracious and opening the black community could be to these two little, you know, Asian children that Mm -hmm. that they didn't know at all. Mm -hmm. And ever since then, like, to me, what stands out so much about the black community is that it's always so welcoming, Mm -hmm. you know, to a fault sometimes, you know. Um, but I, I just love that that is, it's the most loving and open and generous community that I've ever experienced. Um, and it really hurts and breaks my heart, you know, um, that it suffers the way that it does. So anyway, um, go ahead, (laughs) take it away. Um, and just kind of piggybacking off what she said, her identifying to the world that she's not black. (laughs) Um, and as a biracial woman myself, um, I think it's, we kind of play this dance of like what side to adapt to, or like we kind of just get thrown to the left or to the right. But growing up, you know, as she said, in a predominantly black neighborhood and the black community has graciously taken us in, even as like mixed children. I mean, it's never been like, you're too light. Like you think you're better than us. It's never, it's always been love. So it's like, you always have to pour back out what has been poured into you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So we wanted to highlight this episode of Brown Black Excellence. Yes. Um, and when we were thinking about it, Kiana mentioned um, this young lady, and actually, we've kind of feel like we've mentioned her a few times in, right. in the podcast. She's an unofficial, unofficial sponsor. She's the third <laughs> member of this team. Um, and she um, grew up with Kiana. They grew up together, mm-hmm. actually, in the in the church, black church. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was um, a, a kind of a Keith part of Kiana growing up. But um, her name is Ina Ampy. No. I'm sorry, Ina. Jesus. I'm so sorry. I'm so she's, sorry, JT. She's a married woman now. I'm so sorry, JT. You're always going to be Ina Ampy in my mind. Um, she's Ina Logan. Um, yes. And I don't know if Ina knows this, but she has been someone who has always kept me grounded. Always reminded me of where I came from. Always um, been someone I can look up to <clears throat> who is in my same age bracket. And, like, I can aspire to be like her, you know? She always has so much poise and grace. And when my mom wanted to do this episode of Black Excellence, it was like no doubt in my mind that she needed to be highlighted because she has an amazing story that needs to be told. I agree. Um, Because, you know, we don't always we talked about, uh, you know, we don't always need to have folks that are, um, you know, celebrities Mm -hmm. or that you don't know personally (laughs) or that, you know, are 
doing really big things. There are so many examples of black excellence right here in our own neighborhoods and the people that we grew up with and go to church with and go to work with. Mm-hmm. And so um, Ina's a really good example of that. So, And we want to give her her flowers while she's here with us. While she's here. Um, and she's been patiently listening to right. us babble <laughs> for the past for the past th- three minutes now. So that alone. <laughs> and Ina, you may speak. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the pod. Welcome to the pod, hey, Ina. Oops, we got to turn you up a little bit. Uh, let's see. Ooh, just turned you down. There we go. Okay. Say something. Hey, guys. Oh, ooh, that was aggressive. <laughs> okay, there we go. Okay. Hey, guys. Welcome to the studio of Would You Tell Your Mom? I'm we'll so plug. excited to be in the virtual right. studio with y'all. I don't know. You got kind of a fancy setup up there. Um, I don't know. This is Ina is one half of Four Deep Media, and um, they are. She's got a whole microphone, headphones. <laughs> Meanwhile, we just over she looks like she's about to drop a fire mixtape. Right. <laughs> she's looking how we should be looking. Yes, yes, yes. It's fine though. Again, black excellence. Right, exactly. She showed up and said, "Are y'all ready or what?" Because I thought y'all was gonna record. Um, so how are you today, Miss uh, Logan? I'm good. I'm good. Oh. I am trying to get, I'm finally into my new normal. Correct. And special shout out, it is her mom's birthday today. So hi, Miss oh, Hooker. It is. Uh, see, was, it is her birthday. So we're going to go hang out with her later. Oh, happy birthday, Priscilla. You better be listening. <laughs> so, um, Ina is a, okay, we're going to scratch that. You start with that. Okay. Ina is a... <laughs> Ina, like my mom said before, Ina is a childhood friend, friend of mine. I've known her since I was five years old. She has done amazing things in her life. Uh, she is now a mother of Miss Eby. She is a Howard alum. Um, she is a cancer warrior. She has started the Rare Academy, which we're going to dive into um, a li- in a little bit. And she's just all around a wholesome person to be around you know she's always known who she was and stood in that and I admire her so much for that so welcome to the studio Miss Ina Logan even though we've done that thank you oh my gosh it was so sweet those things you said (laughs) so you you're a native of Richmond right so you've grown up here your entire life whole life born and raised (laughs) what was the sigh in that she's tired Richmond (laughs) whole life lived in Two different houses as a oh, kid, wow. you know. Yes. So that's very, right. very that is, blah. Right. That is true. Okay. And you went to uh, what school? High school? Um, graduated from Tucker High School. Okay. And then matriculated on at Howard University. Mm-hmm. And we're going to dive yeah. in a little bit later about... DMV, um, DC. And I was up there with her like I was going to Howard right along with her. Yes. There are some uh, homecoming photos I've seen that... Uh, <laughs> Probably need some explanation. Oh, I was just telling, I was just telling JT how you rode in the parade. <laughs> right. <laughs> I saw the pictures. I was like, she don't even go there. <laughs> I was a honorary member. That's, and, that's like what Howard and like the Black Exos is. You know, we are right. It's a welcoming community. Make them make them feel like they're at home. Right. So tell us a little about a little bit about your journey. Um, you know, college and afterwards, as far as your career path. So I went to Howard as a psych major, and my goal was to be a um, psychologist. 
Okay. And I don't think that I was really prepared to the pathway. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I went to went to school, I, I got good grades, and it was kind of like afterwards, like, okay, so what am I supposed to do now? Right. Because the only people that I saw were those who had their doctorate. And so the only thing that was really available was like, okay, I, I guess I need to do a five-year program where I'm going to get my master's and then get my PhD. So nobody was really informing me of that information when I was <laughs> in college. So it was so when I would apply to the five-year programs, they were kind of like, where's your research experience? And mm-hmm. I was like... Huh? Isn't it crazy <laughs> how they always want experience? <laughs> I'm trying to get it from you, sir. Right. <laughs> like, aren't I supposed to get that, like, in the master's program? Right. So I was, like, brokenhearted when I had applied to Howard's five-year program, and I didn't get in. And then I applied to VCU's five-year program, and I actually had a personal relationship with one of the professors who was, like, going in the whole process. So I was like, okay, like, he gonna look out for me. Aww. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna get you know. Michael McRae was at VCU, and I was like, "Come on, come on, Pastor, you gotta look out for me." You know, we go way back. You know, me and me and um his daughter went to middle school together, so I really knew them for like a long time. So that didn't work. <laughs> I was about to say, I feel that like this work. is gonna take a turn because they only accept like five people. Oh wow, and. You know, I had their research experience. I mean, he even helped me, like, get research experience after the fact. So he was like, okay, I have a class that is writing this paper on this, like, trip they did to um, Haiti. And he was like, so you edit the paper and we'll throw you in the <laughs> credits. And I was like, wow. I don't know if we should uh, keep that in the podcast. Right. That sounds fraudulent. <laughs> <Thank> but- <laughs> so I mean, like, I edited it and I worked through it or whatever. So I... um didn't know what to do after that. I was kind of like, okay, I didn't get into any of the schools I wanted to go to. Like, what's next? Mm-hmm. So when I graduated from Howard, I worked for a mental health agency. It was actually a client of JT's. And it was a very interesting experience okay. because Black people, we can be very amazing. But some of us as business owners, it's a little different little different so, if y'all can see her face right now I don't even know a little different so I mean this the person that was the business owner she just had a very you know strong intimidating personality like she kind of scared her employees to make them do what we were supposed to do mm-hmm. and would like have spies watching us making sure we were doing it was it was very it was very strange I was like I've never experienced this before so I got a lot of experience from that because it was a mental health agency I was getting this mental health experience and the kids that I work with a lot of them went to Martin Luther King Middle School So Mm -hmm. it was an inner city experience. So got to see a lot of kids with a lot of different traumas, different issues. And um, I think that was kind of where I figured out like, okay, so I don't want to do what I'm doing here, Mm -hmm. but I do want to work with this population, Mm -hmm. not necessarily knowing what I wanted to do with that population. So some things were going on that were kind of like, 
illegal. So, <laughs> you know, I had to. I I was like, you know, this, this is why you stick to work the script. So <laughs> this is not going to work for me. So I quit. I was like, I, I can't. I can't do this. I can't do this. So um, from that, like, I didn't have a job. Like, who thinks you're going to graduate from college and be like? I, what am I about to do? Right. Every, I was mama, about to say, every mama in the world thinks that for their kids. <laughs> a lot of people probably think that now. I mean, I was like, yo, I had like my life planned out. Mm-hmm. What is going on? And so um, going from that, I had worked at Nordstrom in high school. So I immediately was like, okay, Christmas time is coming. Let me jump back on that so I can at least have like something because I was very like independent I didn't want I never asked my mom for Mm -hmm. money for anything so I was like how am I about to put this grind on so that I can you know do what I want to do and then I was engaged so I was like look I have like things I want for this wedding and Mm -hmm. I gotta gotta pay for it so ended up going back to Nordstrom for a little while and then I just kept really tarrying on okay like what do I need to do? What should I be doing? So while I was at Howard, my junior year, I remember I was I had like a, I was doing like a devotional, and I remember just writing down things like like what are things that I would want other young ladies to know mm-hmm. because I had just when I was at Howard, I pledged a Christian sorority, so. The ordinance, it was called Alpha and Omega, and it's still in existence. And it's mostly like in the Maryland and up, D.C., Maryland and up area where it's more popular. So people that went to like Morgan State or like Bowie, they're pretty familiar with A&Q. So a lot of what the organization was doing, like during our like online process was pretty much like empowering us to be who God has called us to be and to kind of really accept different things that we've had going on in our lives and embrace those things and forgive for those things and kind of like Mm -hmm. just move on. So I really saw how it really was beneficial to my line sisters and myself, but I can say that I feel like I went into it and I didn't have a lot of the issues that a lot of my I felt like my sisters or other women in the org had experienced because I mean I can honestly say I grew up very pretty sheltered and (laughs) yeah pretty pretty sheltered I only friends I had were my friends from church (laughs) you know Priscilla was not letting a bunch of people come over my house so only house I could go was to y'all's house. That I'm was so sorry. <laughs> right. And that was so sorry an how that, accident. How that turned out. <laughs> Honestly, it was the best, the best part of my childhood. The 99s and the 2000s were. If only your mom knew what was going on. <laughs> sorry, Priscilla. She knew. You know, she had me covered. She had all of us covered. She was, mm-hmm. she was making sure we were good. Mm-hmm. We were always good. But, um, yeah, so a lot of the situations and things they experienced, like, my mom really did a great job protecting me from that. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad passed away when I was 10, but she really was ensuring that I didn't experience the 
not that I didn't experience the grief because I did. You can't really protect anybody from that. Mm -hmm. But she wasn't like bringing men into our house and Mm -hmm. I wasn't having to experience like things like that. Like I didn't feel like she abandoned, like she abandoned me too. I didn't Mm -hmm. experience things like that. So I felt like, and even in things that she would, was very much instilling in me. Like, I think my biggest issue when I was younger was like Kiana said, how like wholesome I am as a person like that's not cute when you're younger (laughs) and honestly it was like you got made uh, well I hope I'm not like shedding light on this but you got made fun of (laughs) and but you stood your ground and I respect you so much for that because even to to this day it's like you're still that same person legitimately it took me getting to adulthood Mm -hmm. and seeing some of the people that like used to talk bs about me when we were kids Mm -hmm. like I'd be like Mm. sorry that this that this is where you have you've ended up right now <laughs> I, mean, I mean but literally like yeah. it's like you know people that were bullying and just really nasty for like mm. no reason i honestly when i this is funny when i was at howard i was on the homecoming steering committee and they're probably gonna be mad if they listen to this and they hear this so they wanted to do line shirts for us like they wanted us like every everything at Howard is like nicknames. Like they want you to have nicknames, like mm-hmm. something cute or jokey or whatever. So when I was there, I can tell you, I like when we party. I like to party. I like to get. I like to get a little. <laughs> I remember. No, that the the girl, the president of the steering committee, the leader of the steering committee, was like everything was gonna be a secret like they were gonna get the shirts made and we were gonna see our names on the shirt when we got the shirts so glad that didn't happen so they ended up having to tell us what our names were she wanted my name to be twerkers for christ oh my god oh my god like my aq sisters was like ready to fight they were like that is so disrespectful like they're mad because you love god but you (laughs) work too that's not okay (laughs) i was so devastated i was like look y'all can order this shirt if you want to like i'm not wearing it i'm not wearing it i'm not doing it i can't like for my own sanity no Mm -hmm. i'm not i'm not wearing that anywhere so they ended up having they were mad they had to change it they're like no one else is going to change their name y'all better change their name or i won't be wearing that shirt Mm -hmm. so they ended up changing my name to bands Okay. When Juicy had the bands mm-hmm. on Make Her Dance, I said, okay, that, we can deal with that. <laughs> That's a little better. That's a little better. So literally after college was over, it probably was like maybe two, three years ago, that same girl reached out to me and she apologized and said, Ina, I've really been going through some things and I'm really growing and God is really working on me. and." Mm-hmm. I know that I needed to apologize to you because that was so horrible. Mm. And I was like, okay, God, so I wasn't crazy. (laughs) And it's not a lot of the time that you get those type of apologies. Mm -hmm. Like when somebody knows they were in the wrong and they're like, okay, I was wrong. Mm -hmm. Usually that doesn't happen. So I was like, okay, yeah, maybe I'm doing something right. Well, speaking of your mom, uh, Speaking of your mom, and um, I was very much involved in Ina's 
One second, Nina, because Lennox is about to get smacked. <laughs> you don't think she needs to finish with, to say where she's like, doing? Yes. Mommy! I'm professional. That's all I can say. I don't know how y'all get this done. Usually we bribe them with something. <laughs> you're, you're not, you finished over at first? What's happening that was so fast? Your mom just gave my swim trunks. Your swim trunks? Oh my god. Hurry up. So it said Christopher's still doing like virtual classes. Girl, school's over. A month and a half ago. They still started, they still were sending stuff, but we didn't do it. So they weren't really doing anything hands on. No, they were sending stuff. At, well, they were doing Zoom meetings twice a, twice a week and then sending stuff they were supposed to be doing. And yeah, we didn't. I mean, they were doing just as much as our kids are doing. Yeah, no, it was it was not to the level of what I was like. Did, did they give you a little refund? For they that? are. They did. They did prorate. <laughs> they did prorate the tuition. Or they said they. I haven't seen it yet. So. Um, is he gonna come back in here? You're finished, right? You're not coming back in here. Are you paused? No, Mom. You're going to have to listen to all of this. Okay. I'm closing the door, okay? All right. We're about to reel it back in. Okay. So, speaking of your mom and your great lineage of amazing black women that you had around you, your Aunt Cookie, your grandma, and I miss her cooking so much. Um, <laughs> growing up with that lineage of amazing black women, what are some lessons that they've taught you about what it means to be a black woman? Uh, wow. So, like, getting into a little history. So, my grandmother is one of six girls, mm. and she was raised on a farm oh. in Malpelia, Virginia. So, way out, if you drive down Staples Mill and just keep on going, that is where she grew up. And so, she was very much raised to be a homemaker. Mm-hmm. So, cooking and cleaning and... um like just things like how to take care of children, how to take care of a house. Mm-hmm. So my my grandmother, she probably wouldn't want people to know this, but she got married when she was fourteen. Shut wow. up! Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she got married when she was fourteen and had my uncle soon after, and my grandfather was much older than her. So she literally immediately had to go into wife. Mm-hmm. mom mode mm-hmm. and um i mean she can make anything from nothing like she's the type of of woman that has been raised to do that like she can make a soup and you have like three ingredients like mm-hmm. that's what she was raised to do mm-hmm. and she's very much like schedule she goes she does laundry the same day she goes to the grocery store the same day she pays bills the same like very consistent and very traditional Mm -hmm. and she had her kids and my mom is more like definitely the the black sheep like she's a middle girl Priscilla (laughs) what you doing out here (laughs) she's the middle girl and she just isn't wasn't as a kid down for like you know doing what she really was supposed to do like following directions oh i wish i knew her as a child you know she was breaking curfew and you know my aunt cookie her younger sister was more of the good girl that was doing everything that grammy wanted her to do and you know just very the two of them were very different Mm -hmm. but 
because my grandmother had very little education, she worked for Tyson's Food for a few years, and then she served as a, a cafeteria lady mm-hmm. in Henrico County, and she actually became a manager. So she was a manager at, um, I think she was a manager of Jean Randolph High School, when that was the school that was only Black students went there. So this was before segregation. Mm-hmm. So it's weird to think that, you know, three generations, like those type of experiences have happened. Like my mom went to Tucker, but she went, I want to say maybe her sophomore or junior year, because that was the year that Brown versus Board of Education, where they integrated the schools. Mm-hmm. So her experiences at in high school were like, she hates to talk about her high school because it was only maybe 10 of them that mm-hmm. came from Virginia Randolph. And, you know, the kids that were at Tucker, they were so used to all white schools. They didn't want the blacks coming to their schools. Mm-hmm. So it was very hard for her to really like embrace anything because they didn't want to embrace her. Mm-hmm. She really had to stick with the crew that she came with from high school, from Virginia Randolph. And um, I feel like that, just resiliency Mm -hmm. like resiliency and that's really huge in the black community totally is they've been so resilient to so much so many roadblocks that most people don't do so well when they encounter those type of situations Mm -hmm. but really become resilient to it so my mom eventually became a teacher she was a preschool director and then she went on to teaching kindergarten and first grade she retired Oh, I think it was like four years ago. And it was, um, she taught for 30 years at the same school, the Burnham Elementary School. And she taught kindergarten for 15 years and first grade for 15 years. And then my aunt, who, um, my mom's baby sister, she went on to, she went to VCU and she got her degree in business Mm -hmm. and she ended up working for Avis. And she, the owner of Avis got very, very close to her and she ended up becoming a partner in basic rental car. Mm -hmm. So definitely not something that, you know, a daughter of a farmer would think that you would have a daughter that would end up being a partner Mm -hmm. in a company like that. Mm -hmm. So just showing resiliency and that you really can do whatever you put your mind to, Mm -hmm. even though you weren't raised by super educated people that you can become your own person and get education and become someone that is not only knowledgeable but has had really vast experiences because when I went to Howard it was amazing to me when people would say oh my grandfather graduated from Howard Mm -hmm. I was like what like I had never experienced anything like that Mm -hmm. so definitely people having different experiences, it can definitely, it does impact your life, but it's so that resiliency, you might not have gotten the same thing if you had that different experience where your grandparents went to college and Mm -hmm. then their parents went to college. Like that's a completely different sector of black people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that um, when you, when you have history or family lines of folks that, um, you know, came from meager beginnings, 
you see the importance of education. Like, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a grandparent or a, fan, or a parent that didn't have that opportunity themselves. And we see it a lot in the immigrant community as well. Like they push hard mm-hmm. for their kids to go to college and get that degree and, and whatnot. And, and you can see it in the work ethic of the children. Um, and a lot of times I think when you have families that come from, you know, where everybody, like you said, has, has gone to college and all of that, it's done because it's expected, mm-hmm. but not necessarily as much because mm-hmm. this is what I, you know, want to do for my because I believe in it or I've, I've invested in it myself. Um, so right. I'm always, you know, amazed at the resiliency and the dedication just to earning an education mm-hmm. of folks who come from families where they're first generation, you know, college graduates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important as well. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I went to my, my mom was going to taking college classes while we were, you know, in school too. So, um, can I just say that I learned a lot about you on this podcast? <laughs> well, if that's what it takes, Kiana, dear. <laughs> okay, so now as a mother yourself, what are what is a lesson that you want to pass down to Evie growing up in the society? And I know, like, a lot of people are saying, like, I don't want to have children now because this is the world they'll, they'll grow up in. And so what is something that you want to say to Evie um, to give her, like, hope, encouragement growing up in these times? Definitely what my mom instilled in me with, you know, really knowing who you are. And something my mom used to say to me all the time, I used to, it used to really bother me, but she said it all the time. Like when I would have issues with like somebody not liking me or something happening with a, with like a group of girls who I thought were my friends, but really weren't my friends. She would always say, you are set apart. Mm-hmm. And because you're set apart, you're not going to be liked by everybody. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get along with everybody. And you have to be aware of what makes you different and embrace those things. And they makes not, it may not make sense right now, but it will make sense. Mm-hmm. It will make sense because I see so many girls working in the school system as a school counselor that just get so devastated because somebody doesn't like them or because somebody was talking about them. And of course at that age, everything seems is so dramatic. Yes, it's so, so oh my gosh, she's never going to be my friend again. It's like mm-hmm. after this year, you'll probably never even see her again, but we don't think about it like that. So really I'm encouraging Evie to think that way as well as, you know, all the girls that I encounter really mm-hmm. you're you, what makes you different and, embrace those things instead of feeling like those things that make you different make other people not like you or want to be around you and a lot of times it's for the wrong reasons a lot of times my mom would say all the time that somebody was jealous of me and I was Mm -hmm. like no she's not she's not jealous of me she has this she has that and she'd be like no she is jealous of you because of the fact that you always have nice clothes or you always you always are polite you're always like it, and I'm, I remember even like being a young child, there there were adults that could not stand me. Mm-hmm. And I could never figure out like, why does she not like me? Mm-hmm. And it really was like, I look back now and I'm like, it's because there were things that were afforded, opportunities that were afforded to me through my mom that she could not do mm-hmm. or her daughter. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I just, she just didn't, she just couldn't, 
like me. Yeah. A lot of people don't know how to process those negative emotions because I think in majority in the black community, like, we aren't taught how to process any emotions, really. No like, processing of trauma. Right. Well, it seems like, um, you know, your appreciation and knowledge of what you had as a as a young girl growing up um, impacted you because you have gone on to dedicate a, a, a huge portion of your adult life to impacting and bringing opportunities to other um, black girls. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the Rare Academy. Yes. So me first. <laughs> um, the Rare Academy. Can you explain what the Rare Academy is and what brought you to start it? Okay, so the Rare Academy is what it's pretty much a school of performing arts mm-hmm. for girls from elementary school to high school, and we pretty much just empower girls to love themselves. Mm-hmm. And our biggest our biggest thing is that you stand out for all the good reasons, mm-hmm. for all the right reasons, and we do. I I think a lot of kids, a lot of girls miss out on a lot of things because they're just not exposed to a lot of things. Mm -hmm. A lot of um, just different cultural things. A lot of our girls have not been outside of their neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. So they've never experienced a lot of things. And we really create a curriculum for girls to experience something so different from what they're used to. We've done college tours. We have had entrepreneurs come in and talk about different careers and just giving them different exposure. We've been to different museums Mm -hmm. and it just really gives them a space where they get to have fun. And something I, I wanted to create a sisterhood, but it's far more than what I could have ever imagined. I mean, any girl that knows a girl that has been to Rare, I look online and on Facebook, and a lot of times girls that went to Rare five or five years ago are still friends. Mm-hmm. They're still going to their birthday parties and their sleepovers and things like that. And it's just, it makes so much because I think an issue with going to school, if you're a good girl at school, you're, you're a good parent, your child feels good about themselves. A lot of times they are surrounded by people that kids that don't. Mm-hmm. So when you come to rare, those are the kids whose parents all feel the same. Mm-hmm. They all want their daughters to be surrounded by like-minded kids. And we say we don't accept any type of bullying at rare and the girls really love each other. And it's great to see the girls get older and how they become mentors to the younger girls. And one of my partners, Reagan Collins, is a teacher. And she's an amazing teacher in Henrico. But she loves teaching at camp because she gets the freedom to teach in a way that's fun, that's engaging, that our kids don't get to do at school. Mm-hmm. School has become so structured. We expect so much when our kids are going through so much. We don't make time for them to process things. We don't make time for them. We don't have time to say, okay, let me go have a chit chat with with Brianna right now. Mm -hmm. She's having a, a hard day today. We don't have time to do that. So it really gives the girls opportunity to really process of different things that are going on. And a lot of my girls, family challenges, parents divorcing, different things that they don't understand. 
but they're still reacting to it. All they, 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 they don't understand what's going on. They are having these irrational emotions that they don't know why. And Rare really gives them the space to release those things. And we're not going to punish you because you snapped at so-and-so. Mm-hmm. Because we really know what happened, but we're going to talk to you and you're going to understand why you shouldn't, why you can't do that. But we're going to talk about what the root is and why you feel that way. Mm -hmm. And maybe you should try to talk to if you're having issues with, well, I don't get to see my dad or I don't get to have this experience. Well, vocalize that. Do you have this space to say, this is how I feel? This is what's making me feel this way? So really trying to build the girls up to be able to solve their own problems mm-hmm. when the time is right. You know, like five and six, you know, giving them those those seeds and that foundation so that when they are eight or nine, they'll understand, okay, let me, let me stop and take a breath because mm-hmm. I'm about to make a poor choice. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because you, your first description was we're a performing arts program and then so little of what you said <laughs> after that had to do with that performing arts. And I know, I mean, obviously I've, I've had personal interaction with the program, so I know that you guys do, you know, the, the ballet classes and the hip hop classes and the, you know, the, the public speaking and all of that. So I know you hit that, but it, it, you definitely, when you describe it, can tell mm-hmm. that your focus is to equip these girls to be women mm-hmm. of character and of strength and of, you know, dignity and problem solvers and, you know, people who go out and achieve things. And yeah, maybe they also learned, you know, ballet and hip hop dance along the way. Um, and so I think that that's really, you know, something that um, you can't put into value as far as your, your the impact that you have on the girls that come through those doors. Right. And I think the, the performing arts is what draws them in mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because they all they want to do is dance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's all they want to do. <laughs> I mean, they'll do day long if you let them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so really giving them that opportunity to say, this is what I love to do. I want to dance, but we're going to do other things and we're going to experience other things and learn other things. So I think that's what's important. And I can honestly say when I really was trying to figure out what I was going to do, I had to sit back and think, what what experience did I have when I was young mm-hmm. where I wanted to be there and wanted to do things like my mom put me in the Y. Like I didn't want anything like the Y because I hated the Y. I, was like, <laughs> I don't want to be outside. <laughs> I don't want to do, I don't play basketball. I don't do any of these, these things. So I don't want to do that. But I can say, and Kiana probably can attest to this. I was um, a like counselor, mm-hmm. I guess you would say for the after school program at Cicely Grace. Yeah, I was going to mention, I was like, I feel like that's where it kind of birthed. And I can say that that was somewhere I wanted to go no matter what. I mean, even Mm -hmm. if it wasn't, if I wasn't working that day, I only used to work two days a week, Latricia would come and pick me up from my house and take me to after school program. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be there all the time. And I feel like, um, I feel like that is what, Trish did for us was Mm -hmm. in like gave us that space to be performers and to do these talents and grow these gifts, but also to be very powerful in Mm -hmm. who we were and finding what our voice was. And that I wanted to be able to impact girls the way that she definitely impacted me as a child. 
No, that would be a great time to shout out um, Miss Latricia. Yeah. Um, and I'm so sorry. I'm so horrible with keeping up with last names. Latricia Lofton. Um, I, mm. I don't know what, what's her new last name. Or... But she's going by Lofton now, I think. Okay. But her, her married name is Russell. That's right. That's right. So uh, Latricia Lofton, um, she did start, she had a dance academy that... Um, Sisterly Grace. Sisterly Grace. And, um, we love Super active, there. but it was very similar to that. Like, it was a stellar dance program. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, top-notch as far as the quality of instruction there. But, you know, Kiana participated. I and... couldn't dance a lick, but I loved <laughs> going there so much. Because it, it, it was a community of girls. And I can say that as a parent, you know, and, and moms and daughters butt heads a lot. Um, and being able to trust your daughter with another adult woman Mm -hmm. that you know can probably get through to her or you know model things for her that um that your daughter may not receive from you directly because sometimes there's that obstinance you know this i don't want to hear it Mm -hmm. if it's from my mom but if miss latricia tells you the same thing all of a sudden you know it makes sense um so i i can't you know as a mother i just can't impart enough how much value that that is you know we talk a lot I talk a lot about raising sons because raising sons is a very hard thing um, for a lot of different reasons but raising daughters is so hard because it's a mini you Mm -hmm. you know it's a mini me Um, and so what you're doing by giving that resource you're not just benefiting the girls like I don't know if you recognize how much you're blessing the mothers Mm -hmm. uh, and the fathers you know the parents of these children of these girls that are going there also I think that's been the most humbling part about it um, I posted a couple of days ago, one of my parents sent me a Facebook message and was like, you know, Ina, I just want you to know that you did so much for my daughter and I just want you to know how much I appreciate it. And it, it's something that I just like needed to hear at the time because I haven't been able to do rare recently the way I wanted to. So it was very empowering to, to know, okay. I I have been doing it right. Mm -hmm. I have been doing it right. And when I started camp, I promise you, I probably knew two of the kids. Mm -hmm. I had like 16 kids Mm -hmm. the first year. And it just blew me away that people... It's it's very different for... I mean, I'm a parent now, but it's really different to go on someone's website and see some information and talk to them on the phone and be convinced. Okay, I'm going to pay this money, right? I'm going to pay this money and I'm going to bring my child to you and you're going to have them all day, five days a week, 10 weeks in the summer. That's a lot for somebody to really give their child to you for that amount of time. Mm -hmm. And it just really makes me feel so awesome. I have amazing parents. I mean, parents that do vast, vast employment, vast jobs, entrepreneurs, amazing women that I wouldn't have thought would have trusted me the way they did. And I really appreciate that. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I wanted to ask, why did you choose the name Rare Academy? So I was sitting in my dorm room my junior year and I was writing down words that like describe, describe me and what describes like you know people always use like proverbs 31 Mm -hmm. virtuous woman Mm -hmm. and i'm like okay we're i'm not naming anything with that so (laughs) (laughs) what little girl is gonna want to come to that so i just kept saying rare and rare and one of jt's friends when i was telling him what i was thinking about doing he was like you need to call it the Rare Academy. And I was like, it's not a school. 
it's not a school. It's just going to be like just stuff for kids to do. It's not a school. He's like, no, you need to call it the Rare Academy. And it just like made me mad. I'm like, no, I'm not going to call it that because that doesn't even make sense because it's not a school. Like we're not a, a private school. Mm-hmm. And I, it finally rubbed on me. I said, you know what? I'm going to call it the Rare Academy. And it gave it just, in to your husband? God, yeah. Ina. <laughs> Honestly, I can't picture it being called anything else. I know, it's so weird. It's beautiful. And then JC did an amazing logo. Like, I love it so Mm -hmm. much. Like, it just looks like us. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, Do you want to hop into this next question, or do you feel like we touched on it? Um, No, I, I think we... Got it. We covered that. What do you want to... Sorry, I'm station break. <laughs> Excuse me. What was that? A station break? Have you always wanted to say that? Yes. yes. Um, did you want to ask this? Because I feel like you, you as a business owner, you know, in Richmond as well. No, I feel like she's, I feel like we've. Fine. We're fighting right now. <laughs> well, I think, we, I think we still haven't covered all of her story. Okay. You know what I mean? Um. Okay. We have the capability of editing if you're wondering what the heck we're doing. <laughs> this is what I'm usually behind the camera with JT doing, so I know. I okay. know. So, um, but one of the things that is amazing is that you are not just isolated to doing the Rare Academy. So you actually have a, your full-time job is different. Yes. I'm a school counselor at Chalkley Elementary School in Chesterfield. Okay. And so does that, do you feel like that's kind of, um, you know, a supplement or, or similar to what you're doing with the Rare Academy or how is that different? So I feel like it's full circle. Yeah. So what I really wanted was the counseling opportunity because I wanted to be a, a psychologist. So I didn't really want to take clinical psychology as a master's. So I really just kind of fell upon this school counseling program at VCU. And the so I'd applied, gone through that whole process. And when I was accepted, they said they had this opportunity for um, this grant. So you could receive this grant if you like feel like wrote this paper about how you would impact students with special education needs as a counselor. So this certain grant, they had this money to train school counselors to work with special education students. Cause a lot of counselors don't have to, like they're the special education students are so separated that they don't really interact with them. Mm-hmm. So I uh, wrote a paper about this grant and I ended up getting the grant. So I was like, okay, God, like this is really what you want me to do. If you're going to fully pay for me to do this program. Okay, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. So I feel like it's like an extension of what I get to do at Rare. Mm -hmm. So I was hired by an amazing principal. I'm like devastated because she announced that she's going to Laburnum. I'm like, you going where I left. (laughs) Okay. But we actually met there. So she used to be at Laburnum too. So she... One of um, the counselor at Laburnum at the time sent her an email and was like, oh, I hear you're looking for a school counselor. You know, Ina's in school. She'll be really great. And she was like, I think I remember her. And we really worked together maybe five years ago. So it was very quick interactions that we had. She actually was a SPED teacher at the time. 
So she, I sent, immediately sent her my resume, a letter of um, interest about my experience and rare and all of that. And she immediately, immediately was like, okay, your interview is scheduled for, for this. So the school is very diverse, but it is a Title I school. So we have a lot of um, lower income students. Most of our students are Black and Latinx community. Mm-hmm. So the demographic, that is the demographic where I wouldn't necessarily meet those children in Rare because Rare is not at the point where I want it to be as a nonprofit. So we don't we don't have access to to do as much scholarship as I, as, as I would like to do. Mm-hmm. So being at Chalkley really gets me the opportunity to be with children that I would never get to see mm-hmm. at camp mm-hmm. who are really dealing with traumas and different situations that they really need help with. So it's definitely, I love the school. I love the faculty there and it definitely, I'll have days where I'm like, okay, this is why I'm here. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. God, you really, you you did your thing. Like, this is why <laughs> I'm here. And gratefully, I had a principal who saw my gifts and really, at times, I was kind of overwhelmed because she would be like, oh, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? And I was like, hey, it's not in my job description. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do it. So, like, she gave me the um, power to start a leadership program at Chalkley. So I had a group of third, fourth, and fifth graders who weren't necessarily, like, the star students, but were kind of, like, in the middle. Like, they might get in trouble, but all they they really just need a little extra support, a little extra encouragement mm-hmm. to really be themselves like to really excel on their own Mm -hmm. so I was really excited to do that that was amazing um she allowed me to run she wanted me to do a whole black history program we weren't able to do that but we ended up doing an amazing Harlem Renaissance night where the kids dressed up and we had people come in from the city to talk about Richmond's history things that you don't get to learn about in school Right. So they talked about, um, you know, the Hippodrome and how Richmond was the the black era of Hollywood, like when years and years ago. So it was really it's a great opportunity to get to utilize my skills differently. Oh, OK. Well, and not only that, but you and your husband own <laughs> four deep media. <laughs> I'm doing a lot. You're doing a lot. You know, uh, so what are you what do you what's the focus there? So, um, JC's been doing it for 10 years, so mm-hmm. I'm like his cheerleader, <laughs> but I've actually, like when I was younger, this is something Trish told me, Trish was like, you should go to school for advertising because you do so good telling people about people and mm-hmm. sharing people's businesses and like, cause Miss Missy, I have sent you some people too. Ooh, bless you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So she was like, you're so good with advertising, you should do advertising. And that wasn't like something I'd ever like even been exposed to. So, you know, when JT and I got together, it was really like, oh, I like this. But it's not something that I would do Mm -hmm. solo professionally. Mm -hmm. But um, we, you know, provide website and video and all types of media solutions for ministries churches businesses all types of people and we 
it's just been really amazing. We've got to meet a lot of people. Um, last year, we had a client that took us to um, Cuba with her team oh, wow. to, yeah, to um, really see the different um, disparities in Cuba, but how they are building their community. Mm-hmm. And she felt like c- the way that Cuba is rebuilding is very similar to certain areas of Richmond. Mm-hmm. Um specifically like the Brooklyn Park area and what can we learn from what they're doing in Cuba and bring it back and learn how to develop the economy for especially black people, black business owners. And she works with a lot of people transitioning from the prison system to being free and just giving them different avenues to be self-sufficient in America. Yeah. So it's I, really cool. I just love how, um, and you got, you, you guys are such a great example of that. You and JT, like how, and, and Kiana, you know, your age group, when you guys are looking at not just how you want to support your families, you know, how you want to earn income, but you really look at ways to do that, but also fulfill your own internal passions mm-hmm. and make impacts on the world. And, you know, everything that you've described that you do isn't just, I, you know, I have this job, I go to nine to five and I grind and I get a paycheck and I have healthcare. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, there's a reason and there's a cause and there's a purpose behind it. And, um, you know, especially with this whole social media thing and, um, you know, I just am constantly inspired by how y'all's generation finds a way to bring value to your lives and to other people's lives. And it, and it could be like you guys are doing, you know, your hands in several different pots. And, you know, it's just amazing to me. Yeah, I think our generation does that very well. Like we're I think we're past the time of like clocking in and out and like just going to work for a paycheck. Like mm-hmm. it needs to mean something like it's not worth doing if it's not like a passion of mine um yeah and i think we're just more willing to kind of like risk it a little bit to Mm -hmm. find that passion and like turn it into a profit if there's one there or if it's just a hobby you know yeah yeah i think that that um when you talk about the black community and 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 specifically uh, you know it's almost like uh i mean what do we have to lose you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like we're a lot of a lot of um younger black families or black uh young adults are going to college and they're, you know, they don't have expectations on them as far as continuing on family businesses or having to go into a certain route. And it's like the world is your oyster, Mm -hmm. you know? And I do think one thing that I love is I feel like, you know, young educated black folks are more um, focused on ways to impact the world and to have a difference in that regard because they see the difference that it has in their own individual families. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And how are really, I remember at our my graduation, like our president spoke and he said that, you know, what are you going to do to help somebody else mm-hmm. it, in any field, whatever field you're in, you can help somebody. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be. I mean, you're a lawyer, you help you help people in that way. A doctor, mm-hmm. you help people in that way. But, you know, there are so many different avenues for you to give back to people mm-hmm. and it's very important it's very important to i feel like that's what you wake up and you want to to work mm-hmm. versus getting a job and just being like watching the clock yeah yeah well your story wouldn't be complete if we didn't touch upon um one of the 
facets of it that, you know, I have such admiration for you for. Um, you were wonderful, wonderfully blessed with um, having given birth um, to baby EB last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but that there was something that came right after that. So can you tell our listeners about that? So it started to July, the weekend of July 4th last year. I was pregnant and everything was going fine. It was, it was, I was very blessed. I felt very blessed because honestly, most of the women in my, in my family do not have children Mm -hmm. because my mom did not have me until she was 39. She tried for 15 years to have me. And I didn't want to claim that I would have difficulty getting pregnant, but it definitely was something in the back of my mind, like this is something that you might have to deal with. Mm -hmm. And you, and I encounter so many women that have difficulty and have had infertility or had miscarriages. And it's really sad. It's really depressing Mm -hmm. when you really think about it. And I really was just, you know, I was hopeful and I was prayerful that I would, you know, get pregnant. And it's interesting that we literally people, everyone was expecting us to, be pregnant a long time ago. Yeah. And it wasn't that we couldn't get pregnant. We had stuff to deal with. <laughs> you know, we were trying to get master's degrees and, you know, pay debt off and it just wasn't the time. Mm-hmm. So it literally when we started trying, like we got pregnant and was kinda like, Oh <laughs> this this can happen. <laughs> okay. So um that when I went to, I think my first few appointments, they found out that I had fibroids. So then I was like, oh my gosh, like my doctor wasn't there. So I had a, a, like a substitute doctor and she was like, you're not going to be able to have a, a, a vaginal um, baby. You're going to have to have a C-section and this, and you see where it is and it's this big and there's another one and this and that. And I was petrified, mm-hmm. like crying, like, oh my God, I'm going to have to have a C-section. This is going to be terrible. And that was like completely nothing. Right. Like I, I spent money to go to a specialist and the specialist was like, you were an African-American woman. More than likely, you're going to have fibroids. Mm. You will be okay. okay. I'm like, can you get this lady that was here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're like, let her know she should not do that to people. Okay. So I was doing good. Everything was going great. And the 4th of July weekend, I remember my, we like got had crabs or something at my aunt's house and I kept feeling this like sharp pain in my right side, like right underneath my, um, my elbow, like right underneath my armpit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everybody was freaking out. Like you need to call a doctor. You need to call the doctor. You need to find out what this is about. So called the doctor on call and the doctor on call was like, you know, it may be indigestion or, you know, we just really, who knows what it is, but it doesn't sound like it's like severe. So the pain just started to get worse. So then they were like, okay, so we're going to bring you in to labor and delivery. You're probably not going to have the baby, but we just want to check on you. So all of my vitals were completely fine, but they kept saying, well, that area is where your liver is. So... They said, well, maybe we think it'll be best for you to go see 
a liver specialist. So while I was actually at labor and delivery, the liver specialist came because I was there like overnight. And he was a very nonchalant, like, hmm. He saw my he saw my records and he said, Do you have anyone in your family that has had cancer? And so he said, I said, Yes, I said, My father died of cancer when I was 10. And he said, Well, what type of cancer was it? I said, It was colon cancer. So he goes on this rampage of, well, you need to start getting um what is what is it called when you get the test of Mam- your mammogram? Mm-mm, no, your um colon, your colon get your, get your colon checked out. Colonoscopy. Yeah. So he was like, "Well, you need to get one of those immediately." And they it's usually something that you don't get until you're like 40, 50 or something like that. Mm-hmm. So he was like, "No, you need to get one like as soon as you're you have your baby, you need to get them." So I said, "Okay." So he said, "We're going to do tests. We're going to do um an ultrasound of your side." So they did an ultrasound and he saw something. But he said, "Oh, those don't look like anything. They're probably um, benign and you'll be fine. We'll wait and do a biopsy maybe three to four months after you have your baby. It's nothing to worry about. So literally after that, I kept having the same pain. It would go away, but maybe like every two weeks, the pain was coming back. So my doctor wanted me to see like a, a special um, neonatal doctor. So I was like spending all this extra money on like dumb stuff that wasn't even the problem. They were like, mm-hmm. oh, this is fine. This is fine. This is fine. So I kept having the pain. And so my doctor was like, Anna, you're miserable. Like, this is ridiculous. So they were like, we're going to induce you at 37 weeks so that maybe that will take the pain away. Because they're saying maybe the baby is pushing on your liver and that's what's causing the pain. So I had the induction and all of that. And then you take all those classes, like um, birthing classes, thinking you're going to be in labor for like 24 hours. And I go in, they induce me. And literally that morning, they were about to do the epidural. Like they were like, oh, you're doing fine. You're doing fine. You had your Pitocin. You're doing good. JT was sleeping. <laughs> and my mom was like rubbing my head and like putting cold washcloths on me. And I was like, I feel like I am going to the bathroom. Like something, oh I feel like I'm going to the bathroom. And the nurse was like, oh, well, well you're fine. Your doctor will be, my doctor was supposed to be there at eight. So this was like 730. Mm. So she was like, okay, well, we're getting the doctor on call to come and see to maybe, maybe you've dilated some more. So my doctor luckily was like 10 minutes early. So she walked in and was like, oh, what's going on? So they had put me on the bed and she was like, oh my God, the head is already coming. (laughs) This is starting right now. And so we wake up JT and he's like, what is going on? And literally Evie was there in like five minutes. (laughs) I was not induced at all. And everybody was like, I have never seen this happen before. So even the birth was like out of the ordinary. So I lost a lot of blood Mm -hmm. and I had to get blood transfusion. And all of a sudden, I went to sleep like that night. And when I woke up, like 
everybody they were surrounding me Jesus. and they had like cold compresses on me isis on me it was like a million people they were like my mom was crying i was like what is going on so they said that my blood pressure had skyrocketed and i had a fever so they could not figure out what was going on so the same doctor came to visit me because um, St. Mary's is like his doctor on call, his hospital on call. So he came and pretty much said the same thing. Like, I think it's benign. We just have to do a biopsy. I think you'll be fine. And then they had all of these doctors, like every possible doctor came and was trying to figure out why are your liver enzymes so high? I mean, like high, like my liver enzymes were like in the like 200s and they just couldn't figure out like what is going on, what is going on. So Ebi went home before I went home. So I was there maybe two extra days than she was. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of like, okay, like I understand this. I was trying to pump and then I had, was trying to just nurse her and then I had to pump and it was just a lot. And while I was there, they were like, well, we can't find anything. I mean, they did MRIs and CT scans and this and that. They, we can't find anything. We don't know what, we don't know what it is. So they said, we're just going to send you home. So I went home and it was right before Labor Day weekend because I think I came home on Thursday. My girlfriend got married on Friday. My whole time I was at the hospital, I was like, look, my girlfriend is getting married on Friday. I was supposed oh, yeah, to be bridesmaid. Jessica's wedding. I was like, Jessica is getting married. I cannot, <laughs> I couldn't be in the wedding. I will be, I have to go. I have to be there. I have to be there. So I literally, my feet were so swollen. I went to, luckily their wedding was at St. Joseph's Villa. So it was like two seconds from my house. And then JC and I came home. I pumped, had milk for EB. My mom had EB. And then I went back the, to the Jefferson for the reception. When I left, my feet were like huge. They were so swollen. And I was like, oh my gosh, what is going on? So that Labor Day weekend, my mom was like, you know, I think you should check your blood pressure. And I'm like, oh, why do I need to check my blood pressure? I think you should check your blood pressure. So I checked my blood pressure and it was high. I don't remember what it was, but it was really high. So she said, I think you need to go to the emergency room. So JT and I go to the emergency room and the doctor that was there, that was on call when I had the baby, she was on call then. So she came and she said like, Ina, this is ridiculous. You keep having this pain. They don't know what it is. She said, I want them. We are going to figure out what it is. So she put in all these rushes for orders and they said, okay, we're going to do a biopsy. So I went down for the biopsy and my, my um, gynecologist was so amazing. Like anytime she was there and saw that I was there, she was like, Anna, what are you doing here? What is going on? And I was like, you know, we're just trying to figure out what's going on. So the, they had a, uh, infectious disease doctor who came and they had given me so much medicine i just don't even like remember anything that he said and jt was like i remember everything he said and he showed him my scans from my i guess from the mri and he said this this is bad this is really bad i don't know what it is but it's really bad and jt didn't really share that with me so i didn't really know what was going on 
So the next day I went in for the biopsy and my gynecologist came and she's so amazing. Dr. Um, Priya, she's so amazing. So she came and she like prayed with me. She was like, Ina, everything's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And went in for the biopsy. Fine. They said, oh, we should know maybe two hours from now what's going on. So I go back to my room. The doctor, the same doctor who was all, oh, it's benign. It's fine. He comes in my room and he says, the radiologist thinks that it is cancer. And he just had this face like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, obviously, because this whole time mm -hmm. you've been saying that it's benign. So everybody in the room, we were all like dumbfounded, like, what? Cancer? What are you talking about? And how did I get cancer in my liver? So, of course, they sent the oncologist in. The oncologist was a, she's very chipper and very, um, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if it's because of what she does, but she's just very, well, that's what the radiologist said. We haven't gotten the results back. So Optimistic, we don't know what it is. Yeah. So we're not going to say that it's cancer because we don't know what it is. And, you know, I'm like having faith and I'm like, okay, we don't know what it is. They, the radiologist, who, who knows if he knows what he's talking about. So we're all like, you know, believing that, you know, this, this is, this is good. They thought they saw something, but it's not what they thought it was. So we went home and they saw the results and they said, yes, it is liver cancer that has, that started as breast cancer. Wow. So not only am I like shocked that I have liver cancer, I'm like, so how long ha did I have breast cancer mm -hmm. before? Like how, like if it would not have been like, was me being pregnant, like EB pushing on the tumor, is that what caused the pain? And if that, if EB would not, if I wouldn't have been pregnant with her, mm -hmm. like would I still have cancer and not know it? Right. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing was just like, I mean, who thinks at right? Yeah, it blows my <laughs> at mind. Twenty seven, they're going to tell you that you have cancer, right? She, I mean, Ina's the same age as me, and mm -hmm. I th I thought I was strong mm -hmm. until like what Nina's been through, what mm -hmm. Ina's been through. It's just like mm -hmm. my life has been a coast. Like mm -hmm. it's been easy. Like. I don't know if I could have dealt with it the same way. It's like, I just admire your strength so much. And especially right off after having a child. Yeah. Like that just speaks volumes to the, the person that you are. Yeah. I just remember just being like incredulous. Like, what do you, what do you mean? Ina has stage four cancer. Mm -hmm. What do you, what do you mean? She just had a baby. She's 27. She's yeah. your, you know, she's your age. And, um, it was, I, I don't even have words. <laughs> it's crazy to hear because, um, around that time, my other friend was diagnosed with leukemia and she just recently um, passed away. And it was just like to think of people who are just so young and like we're around each other so much and they're we're so full of life. And to like, it's just mind blowing to me, like things like that can happen. Mm -hmm. I, I still to this day don't understand it. Yeah. But what you've done, Ina, is you've been very open about, you know, mm -hmm. about this journey. And, um, you know, you've you had that um, 
amazing photo shoot. It was um, so good. You know, when you, you, with your beautiful bald head and which has grown back quite nicely, I must say. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm on a different chemo regimen that apparently doesn't take my hair out. Oh, wow. Well, okay. that they don't switch it and then it, I lose it again. Cause that would just be like, <laughs> but you carried it. I was like, you know what? I, this, this I these jaws would not, would not, not a lot go of well. people can do the ball. I say to my friends all the time, I recognize I would, <laughs> it's my hair. Like my hair carries me. Oh, <laughs> But um, but yeah, so just kind of watching your um, your journey, and you know, you've posted a couple of times from your chemo treatments, um, and so just the strength of everything that you're doing, you know, as far as professionally, and then being a wife and being a mother, mm-hmm. and um, your community obligations, um, you know, obviously it's black excellence, right? Like, <laughs> I feel like that's the epitome of the like the term. Yeah. Yeah, and you're so like there's still so much more for you to do, right? And I, you're in your prime right now. Like it's there's so much more. Yeah, I just repeated what you just said. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, I I tell people all the time, you really don't know how strong you are until, until you yeah. really don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. You don't like. I I was a mom. Like I could not give up. I mean, it, it just wouldn't have been fair to her. And I also, like, JC and I say this all the time, you know, even if in a state of depression, because we did, we went through that. Um, what was crazy was we had a terrible leak in my house right around the time that I had Evie. So JC and I were at my mom's house for, like, two months. Mm. And I, I, I can't even explain how appreciative I am because – Mom, like, knew what I was going through, what hung my body, and, I mean, I just didn't even recognize myself. I I was 160 before I had Evie. I only gained eight pounds. So I was 168 wow. when I had her. <laughs> By the time I left the hospital, I was, like, 140, mm-hmm. and I was like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. So even looking in the mirror, I was like, who is this? Like, just unrecognizable, and I was at Mom's, and... Mom was like, look, you need to sleep. So she literally had Evie's bassinet in her room and took care of Evie every night because she just knew I wasn't strong enough. And it's just amazing to me, you know, when you, you God gives you everything you need mm-hmm. when you need it. Mm-hmm. And I, that is what I needed. And although that time was so like horrible, like just sad and I mean, it was horrible. JT and I went to Philly to Cancer Treatment Center of America, and it was just a lot. It was just so much going on, like going back and forth to Philly. It was a lot. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like I was losing so much time with Evie because I was always gone or like recovering, just not able to take care of her. And I'm so appreciative of my mom for stepping in and being there to, to do that for us. So we were there for like two months. I mean, just making sure I was eating and JT was still trying to work. So, I mean, and when you're, and I feel like that's another thing, you know, when you're a business owner, it's hard for you to mm-hmm. take off mm-hmm. because I mean, you have clients that are expecting, they still like, they understand, like, and they literally would be like, you know, we understand, we know your wife is sick, we know that, but you know, we just need, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, is so-and-so going to be, is it going to be up? Is it going to be done? Is this flyer going to be made? And, and so, I mean, even I tell JC now, like, he still needs to 
talk to someone to really process everything that he went through as a spouse Mm -hmm. during that time because it literally was like him trying to figure out like how can I support my wife who is sick has cancer we just had a baby it's supposed to be the best time of our lives Mm -hmm. and I have to manage this business because if something happens this is this all we have yeah Mm -hmm. So the whole situation was just like, whoo. I mean, I look now and it hasn't even been a year, but it really feels like, yeah. what <laughs> in the world? And so I was out of work for six months. And then my go my return date was March 10th. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say publicly, Devin Stribling, Devin is one of my closest friends. And I'm telling you, like, I never knew what a friend was. Mm-hmm until Devin. I mean, she literally filled out the application for me to go to Cancer Treatment Center of America because she was like, you cannot, this, we can't, we don't have any option. We have to, we have to figure this out. She would call my doctor, she would call my job. She would tell them like, this is what's going on. Like trying to fill out, she would get approved to fill out paperwork for me. And I mean, just went above and beyond for me. I I don't even know if I could be that friend mm-hmm. to somebody else. And I was supposed to go back to work March 10th. And Devin was like, are you ready? Are you sure? Like, you need to wear a mask every day. Don't let any kids touch you. Like, you are going to have to put your guard on going back to work. If you're going to go. So she said, well, let's talk to your HR person to see, you know, what are the options? Like, if you go, how long do you have to stay before you can potentially go out again? So she was like, okay, if you don't go at all, you're going to have to get disability and you're going to lose your benefits and you're going to have to reapply for your job in the fall. So I said, okay, we have, I'm going to go and it's going to be okay. I'm going to go. Literally went back to work. May 10th was on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Chesterfield called to cancel school on that Thursday. Mm-hmm. I worked four days. And I know so many people are being impacted ne- negatively by this pandemic. But the fact that I went back to work on May 10th, and I'm still getting paid like full salary. Like I'm working every single day and I'm mm-hmm. able to be at home mm-hmm. and I can get, get on Zoom calls and I'm doing everything from home and I can be with my baby. Like I literally feel like God gave me a year of maternity leave. Yeah. Yeah. And shout out to because Devin too. We love you. And thank you. Uh-huh. For, she, I said shout out to Devin because we love her. And the amount of support that she's just given us on this podcast, too, has been amazing. Like, she's an awesome soul to be around. I I, I'm, I just never even um, could have imagined. Like, I, I mean, she is true. And, and other people have truly shown what it is to just be so good to me like Mm -hmm. people have just sent me books and t-shirts and cards and it's just really I know going from this I have to get back get on my game when it 
when people are going through things around me because mm-hmm. a lot of times you just don't even think about it. like you you know you send them a text right i'm um, thinking about you i know you're going through this but it's like no like what can i tangibly do right. to show you the action that behind the you? thought is I'm like i think that's where it is you. yeah mm-hmm. yeah Wow. Ooh, it was emotional. Okay. We didn't think you was going to cry. <laughs> I, I didn't think I was going to cry. I, I heard it a couple times. I was like, uh, I just want to hug her. <laughs> wow. <sighs> That's it. I mean, wow. So are how is your health now? Are you, you and... So I have contemplated going back to CTC. So the reason I stopped going was because I was just away from EB so much. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the I got one treatment at CTC and you're supposed to get this new Lasta shot after you have chemo because it knocks your white blood sound dead blood cells down so bad the new Lasta is supposed to bring them up to like a normal level. So when I went to CTC, I have no idea I didn't know anything about a new Lasta shot. So they didn't give it to me. I came back to Richmond was sick as a dog. I ended up having to be in the hospital for 11 days. Mm. I had nonstop antibiotics because I had gotten two infections. Like I had like tephulitis was like an infection in your, in, 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 um, your intestines. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And I had another one. I can't even remember what the name of it was. But it's stuff that you... It's stuff that you get that is from you not... Like being exposed to like raw meat, like salmonella, Mm. that Mm. type of thing. Like that is what those type of infections are from. So that was crazy for me to be experiencing that. And it kind of made me turned off from CTC. Like, y'all got me this infection and I was in the hospital for 11 days. So then I was like, I'm going to stay in Richmond. So my, like I said, my oncologist is very peppy. She's very like outgoing and she's like, girl, you look good. You're getting this. We, we, we're getting it. And I'm kind of like, but when is the test say? (laughs) (laughs) What is the the data say? You're making me feel like it's good, but I don't really know if it's good. Because I went to her because my girlfriend, um, you know, I'm an old soul. So one of my girlfriends is in her 40s. And she has had breast cancer twice. And she swears by this doctor that she went to. So I went to her. I don't think I've ever cried so much. When I first went to her to like for my like um, for her to look at my paperwork and stuff, she was like, you know, I'm going to be completely honest with you. You know, you might do really well with chemo, but if you don't, you have one year to live. I'm gonna die in a year? What in the world? So then I was like, you know what? I'll just go with the Kiki girl. (laughs) (laughs) You're too extreme. Right. You could have gave that to me a little better than that. And then Devin was like, well, she she said, she's saying what exactly. Like, I don't know about this other doctor because she's fluffing it. I think she's fluffing it. Mm. So I'm like, look, I'm going to have to deal with fluffing <laughs> because I don't feel very confident with homegirl over here. So I finally got the nerve a couple of weeks ago because I haven't been able to go with anybody. I have to go by myself mm-hmm. because of COVID and you can't have a caregiver with you. So I told her, I went Wednesday and I was like, okay. So what's really going on? And she was like, well, your scans from three months ago looked really, really good. You know, I'm just trying to get rid of this 
liver stuff just get rid of it so she said it's very possible i was supposed to get scans this coming monday and she said you know it's possible that the scans will say that it's little to no cancer left in your in your liver and so i was like okay so what does that mean (laughs) And she said, well, that means that we would maybe do two or three more chemos just to be sure that we got it. And then we would be good. So I said, okay, so what about the breast tumor? Like, I mean, like she's very dedicated on the liver because of course your liver is very important. So Mm -hmm. she said that, you know, the chemo attacks all cancer in your body, wherever it is. So she doesn't really know what the cancer looks like in my tumor in my breast. So I'm going on Monday for a um, ultrasound to see what size it is, if it has shrunk properly, and she's scheduled for me to see a breast surgeon. So the breast surgeon can look at the results and decide on removing the tumor so i was like okay we're we removing the tumor are we doing like lumpectomy are we doing mastectomy like are you chopping the boobs off all together and she was like honestly she said i don't feel like it's any need in double mastectomy so she said that she's confident that um just removing the tumor in a lumpectomy will suffice so then, so I go see my doctor first, then I go for chemo, but I have to wait for my blood. They go, so I go get my blood checked, then I go see the doctor, then I wait for the blood test results, and then they tell me if I can get chemo or not. So then they told me that my numbers were too low and that my liver enzymes were high, so I wouldn't be able to get chemo. So it was kind of like I left the doctor feeling like, oh, okay, right. this is good news. Mm-hmm. And then I went downstairs and they were like, well, maybe, maybe not. Mm-hmm. So I have some tests on Monday and then they'll have to do another test another day. So mm-hmm. I guess we will know more information from that. But then the last scan I got three months ago, there was, they saw something in my lungs, mm-hmm. but the radiologist thought that it was infectious. So he said, oh, well, maybe it seems infectious to me. That was before... My doc- so when my doctor saw it, they said, oh, I think it's infectious. Like, does she have a cough, shortness of breath or anything? I said, no, I don't have a fever. None of that. So she was like, well, maybe we should see a lung specialist just to see. So then I saw the lung specialist. The lung specialist was like, well, it's too small for us to do anything. So we'll get check you in June. So that's where I'm going for the test on Monday. And he said, and... You know, hopefully it hasn't grown. But if it's grown, then we can do a biopsy that will stick a needle. We'll put you to sleep and stick a needle in your chest and then we'll see what it is. And I'm like, okay, God. So, wait, no, no, no. This, this, this lung thing better be gone on Mm -hmm. Monday. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because I'm like, bruh, how much more can I (laughs) Wow. So, so essentially, you are still. This um, is still a battle that you are fighting. Yeah, you're, you're yeah. still in limbo. Yeah, yeah. Still in limbo. But I'm grateful that the chemo that I'm on is not terrible. Like, I don't have nausea, diarrhea, any of that, like, mm-hmm. exhausting things. Mm-hmm. The only. I have, like, a little bone aching. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I'm 
do fine and my hair is returning mm -hmm. so hopefully we're gonna believe that monday will have good results we're praying for it we are yeah touching and agreeing with you on that yes Nina. <laughs> i receive it i receive it yes because i pray that i can be done with all of this by the year by um september when i was diagnosed i would like to be mm -hmm. would like to be finished with all of this okay it would be really nice god it would be really nice right and i feel like just right now like with covid it's like we want to see you we want to visit you but we also want to keep your health at the forefront and it's a huge priority so it's just like it sucks it sucks really it sucks it sucks really bad so I feel like if if I had not already been home and kind of stuck at home, mm -hmm. it would be worse. Like if I was like in the, going through the pandemic mm -hmm. and I had not already been stuck at home. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of already used to it. So I'm kind of like, same old thing. It's just I'm not going to the store and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So you've been bored in the house. In, in the, the house, house bored. Been, been <laughs> bored. <laughs> Well, um, even keeps me occupied. Oh, I'm sure. Well, um, yeah, I, thank you so much for your transparency and for sharing with us and, and talking with us about that. Um, you definitely have made an impact on our lives and the lives of countless girls and families in the Richmond area. Um, we did want to, I guess, close out the episode today by... Um, kind of just talking about other instances or other examples of, of black excellence. Mm -hmm. And so we did um, a little bit of a kind of a, an online search. You know, I've seen here and there periodically <laughs> folks on, you know, little Facebook postings or whatever about great things that um, that black folks are doing. And so we just wanted to kind of highlight those just a little bit of just a feel for, good moment. Yeah, because positive note. Exactly. Positive. Last night, I mean, I feel like yesterday was another heavy day. And when we were doing research for this and like I was reading about like all these kids who are doing just these crazy, amazing things like I was literally flabbergasted <laughs> and it made me feel so good to know like the, the all the stuff is going on around us, even in this world of hate, like there's still so right, many people right. thriving. Yeah, yeah. And just, you know, even for folks that are listening or, you know, and I try to, you know, give these examples to my kids too. like there's so many awesome examples of great people doing things that there should be tremendous pride mm -hmm. in the black community. Mm -hmm. Right. You know what I mean? And, and as much as other, um, you know, white supremacists or those in power want to make um, black folks feel inferior or to continue to perpetuate stereotypes or look what you're, you know, you guys aren't even supporting your own community. And, you know, like I saw it in the news this morning. Oh, the, the news just wants to show footage of all the riots, but they're not, you, you haven't seen any articles or any video footage of the community, of folks in the community cleaning up the messes, mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, after the next day. And, and so, I, yeah, I even saw um, something where there were black people protecting officers who like yeah. got separated from their um, troop. And I was like, even when they're fighting against this, we still like, yeah, show up with love and compassion and they don't show that. But I feel like it's important to bring awareness to like, there's still people out here who are doing amazing things. Um, so we just want to shed some light on that as well. 
Yeah. So I had um, read a little something about this guy, and, and when we were talking about this episode, he was the first guy that came to my mind. I don't know him, <laughs> uh, but I just thought it was kind of amazing. His name is Brandon Fleming, and he is the founder of the Harvard Diversity Project. Um, and his little, he actually was in Forbes magazine as a highlighted person. He And it says that uh, before turning 23, Brandon Fleming had dropped out of college, worked an assembly line job, returned to Liberty University for his bachelor's degree, and coached an Atlanta Middle School's debate team. Its success introduced him to Harvard University, where he joined the debate faculty at age 26 and created a pipeline for underrepresented youth in Ivy League admissions. The Harvard Diversity Project enrolls Atlanta high schoolers of color into Harvard's residency summer residency program, with Fleming raising $500,000 to pay their way. Fleming's Atlanta team first competed in 2017 and became the first all-black team to win Harvard's tournament the following year. Um, and I was just, you know, blown away by this one, you know, the whole debate thing and public speaking and all of that just mm -hmm. is near and dear to my heart because I, I know that so many of these kids that go through this program are probably going to end up being lawyers. Mm -hmm. um, and we need, you know, we need lawyers of color very, very much, you know, so um, in this program. And, um, you know, for him to be such a young guy and to, you know, just to even be on Harvard faculty at 26, um, you know, coaching the debate team. And then turning around and saying, you know what, I'm not just going to sit on my laurels now that I'm here. I'm mm -hmm. going to create this entire program, this project to bring kids in. Mm -hmm. And that to me is the ultimate representation of paying it forward and black excellence and what young folks are doing to make a difference in the world. So uh, shout out to Brand Brandon Fleming of the Harvard <laughs> Diversity Project. Hey. Hey. <laughs> What? No. That's not, that wasn't cool. No, no, no. Okay, I'm sorry. I I'm sorry. I tried. It's okay. <laughs> Who you got, Kiana? Um. Well, I just I did a little digging myself. Um, and I have a couple people. Yeah. I have a couple people that I wanted to highlight. Um, Daniel Gathers was who is MIT's first Black woman student body president in the school's 159th year history which I think is amazing. First black women, anything is speaks volumes. It is. It's still crazy. We're still having first black right, women, right, <laughs> women right. things. And of course, um, I, there was this mother daughter duo I was reading about and I wanted to highlight because obviously mother daughter duo, we're doing some amazing things, but um, Dr. Jasmine Kuji and Cynthia Kuji, first mother-daughter duo to attend medical school at the same time and match the same institution. In July 1st, they will both start their residency at LSU. Can you imagine us going to... I, um, I, um, <laughs> I couldn't. Going to school together? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> well, but you, but you, you, went to, you actually did go to school with me when, it, when I was in law school. You guys would go to classes with me sometimes, so hey. Actually, no. You know what? I could actually see us going to school together. Should we do that? Should we go get no. something? <laughs> it will defer Maybe. my student loans like, for a little while. You got some time. <laughs> you can find the time. Know, right? Okay. Kudos to the, uh, what's the last name? Dr. Coogees. Dr. Coogees. Okay. Um, another Howard alum like Ina. Um, ooh, ooh, ooh. She can do oh, it. Why can't you? I? Oh, she's young. Oh. <laughs> Um, another Howard alum, we have Captain Nelson is the first black female officer for the Air Force Thunderbirds. Oh, wow. I love the Thunderbirds. That is cool. Right? Yeah. There's probably not even that many um, no. female pilots. Like, uh, Yeah. 
That is true. I actually um feel like I wanted to do that. Be a pilot. Oh you God. still have time. That is true. <laughs> okay. You, you know what? I would are never you discourage. Still, are you? Would never I, discourage you from. I don't know if my mom believes in from me. anything, but no, because the Thunderbirds they were the ones that like have been doing all the flybys lately because of yeah the COVID, the first responder stuff. So. Okay. Shout out to Captain Nelson. Shout out to Captain. I mean, yeah, honestly, just being a black woman in the military mm-hmm. is in and of itself. Yeah, definitely. Um, challenging and, and definitely making inroads there. So um, I wanted to read this little expert excerpt that I um, found from Nide Anyu, who is a doctoral student at the University of Pennsylvania. He describes ba- black excellence as black excellence is more than a catchy hashtag or words written across the front of a hooded sweatshirt. Black excellence is, in fact, our ancestors' wildest dreams. It is what we as people of African descent strive for each and every day. It is the lifeblood of what keeps us going when it seems our humanity is being questioned. Black excellence is me and every other black person working towards the advancement of our people. And I just thought that was very beautiful. You know, I feel... Snaps, snaps, right? Snaps. <laughs> I, I've actually seen a lot of posts of people putting, um, you know, p- posting their accomplishments and saying, I am my ancestors wildest dreams yeah um and you know we're not even talking about a huge amount of time when we're talking about ancestors because folks have you know slaves in their lineage just a couple of generations Mm -hmm. back you know um and to think of how much like that's mind-blowing to think of how Mm -hmm. much progress black americans have made after being brought here forcibly as slaves Mm -hmm. going through all of that time in slavery then going through jim crow then go like that to me the tenacity um resilience yeah i just can't like i don't know why um you know portions of america think that um learn from it (laughs) right like like y'all don't y'all don't realize (laughs) you might as well (laughs) y'all don't want to smoke (laughs) no i saw something today that um it said white supremacists are lucky that we just want equality and not revenge oh wow and that Mm, i was like wow y'all lucky Did you see the tweet that said, the white people, do you not remember that y'all were fighting about the taxation of tea? Right, right, right. (laughs) Like, we can't be mad now? Well, I mean, it, it, it says a lot about a people... When you when to know what it is that they find to be a struggle, mm-hmm. you know, and so that to me is the biggest thing about the comparison between the reopen America groups and you know and protesters fighting for equality, you know, in, in the criminal justice system. Like y'all are bugging out over barber shops and bowling right. alleys, right. and that's a First sacrifice, right? Mm-hmm. Like you guys are like it really is a struggle, and you can tell what you know what a what a lot about a person by what they consider to be a hardship. Mm-hmm. Um, so not just surviving. I think that's the thing. Like black folks are not just out here surviving. They're thriving. They're thriving, excelling, like doing things people don't even think about doing. Yeah. And at young, young ages too. Yeah. Yeah. I have, definitely. I I have crushes on all of my black female friends that, um, (laughs) that's that's about a couple of times you mentioned Because I do. I love shout out to all of y'all who, um, you know, I, 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 I just have so much um, respect and admiration. And that's why I make a point to say, I know I'm not black, y'all. Mm-hmm. I just have so much respect for the community. I'm not trying to co-opt or take anything away from, from anybody. Um, but thank y'all for loving me the way that you do. Yeah, <laughs> we accept you. We accept you. <laughs> thank you for all these years at the barbecue. <laughs> and she meant the cookout. I meant the cookout. And this is why she's uninvited. 
Thank you. I think I was, that's the I was hungry. And you know you can pass for anything because people think you black anyway. For the longest time, I will say that I did think she was black. <laughs> Oh God! You don't want to know how many discuss how many family discussions have revolved around this very issue. But what are you? Yes, yes, yes. So, alrighty. Well, um, this has been an amazing release. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Thank you for your time, especially on your mama's birthday. Right. Happy birthday to you, Miss Priscilla. Thank you for being a second mother to me, and you know, always wanting the best for me and. Popping my hand when I talk back to you. <laughs> Keeping her straight in church. <laughs> Popping your hand when you are going in our refrigerator. Right. Yes, yes. The, I mean, y'all, y'all really did expose, um, you know, Kiana to a lot of wonderful, great traditions, mm-hmm. um, family traditions that unfortunately we didn't, we didn't necessarily have in ours. I would be like, you going to the Sunday dinner over there? Like, Why I go back home? <laughs> They do an Easter dinner over there. <laughs> I was good. Oh my gosh, out. so many memories. So yeah. Many so, all right. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening in again. Um, and we know, like I said, we know there's a lot going on. Uh, we hope that maybe this has been a little bit of a, um, you know, release for you guys. So um, we're just here to, you know, a space for where you can feel good. Yeah. Um, bring your burdens. Let him go. Wow, we're a confessional now? Is that what we're doing? If you need to. We ain't going to be listening back. But, I mean. <laughs> it feels like a one-way street. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you guys have a great week until we meet again. So long. Farewell to you, my friend. You know you know that, Ina. Goodbye for now until we meet again. <laughs>